Let's take our Bibles and open God's holy word to, to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We'll be turning our attention to Philippians chapter 2, and we'll read the verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, where the word of our God reads as follows. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So far the reading of God's holy word. Let's now sing hymn 55, the stanzas 1, 2, and 3. I may proclaim to you the word of our God as we find that in the book of Psalms. We'll look this afternoon at Psalm 131. Psalm 131 is a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So far. After the sermon, we will sing in response the three stanzas of Psalm 131. Theme for the sermon is, In Faith I Must Learn to Ban All Pride and Hope in the Lord Forever. Dear brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 131 is a very short but very difficult psalm to put into practice. Charles Spurgeon once said it is one of the shortest psalms to read 
but one of the longest to learn. We cannot merely learn it in our heads, but we need to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. Now, the heading above this psalm identifies Psalm 131 as another song of ascent. The song played a major role in the preparation for worship of the people of God in the Old Testament. As Psalm 131 is one of the 15 songs known as the Songs of Ascent that the people sang as they, they made their way up, as they ascended to Jerusalem to celebrate one of the major feasts. And singing these songs set the atmosphere and the tone as God's people entered into the presence of the Lord to worship Him, to offer sacrifices, to pay their vows, and to acknowledge their need for salvation. Psalm 131 was composed by David. But we know nothing of the when, where, and why he wrote it. It may have been some sin that left him crushed and humbled. He may have gone through some soul-wrenching experience, sickness, days of deep hurt, painful waiting or disappointing events. We do not know for sure. But what we do know is that there were times in David's life that his heart was lifted up with pride. And the Lord needed to knock him down a notch. Psalm 131 is not a prayer, but a confession. A confession that is made in the presence of the Lord. The psalm is a meditation addressed to the Lord in which the writer asserts his sincere faith, trust, and hope in God. It's a confession and a call for all of us to enjoy complete rest, peace, and security in the Lord rather than follow an arrogant, haughty, ambitious, and know-it-all approach to the needs, desires, struggles, difficulties, and challenges of this life. Psalm 131 confesses dependence, trust, hope, and faith in the Lord. And it calls the congregation of believers to take hold of that same faith and trust. This is a psalm about a quietness of soul that is rooted not in circumstances, but in God. A God who never changes, who is always faithful, and he is committed to us in Jesus Christ. David expresses his complete confidence in the Lord. He voices the trust of a close personal relationship. He says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too marvelous for me. And with that phrase... David confesses to the Lord, Yahweh, the faithful and true God, that with his heart, his eyes, and the direction of his life, he has but one desire, and that is to walk in humility before the Lord. 
He confesses before God his renunciation of all pride and self-exaltation. Humility is his only hope. For then he will rely on the Lord and not on himself. David is willing to humble himself because he knows that at best he is merely a servant of the exalted Most High God. While the people who made their way to Jerusalem for the annual feasts took this song of David on their lips, and rightly so, for all God's children of all times, including us, need to bend their knees before the most high majesty of God and say the same thing. We need to say it as adults, no matter how old we are, but also as teenagers and as young children. The song, although sung together, is very personal. I can only live in a proper relationship with the Lord God when I confess honestly and sincerely, O oh Lord, my heart is not proud. Now, the first verse of Psalm 131 contains a threefold denial of pride a denial of pride in the heart, in the eyes, and in actions. In the Hebrew Bible, whatever appears first in a sentence or phrase is frequently placed in that position for the purpose of emphasis. And this is especially true when the sentence is rearranged and written in a strange manner. While verse 1 has such a structure, there are three negatives set forth at the beginning of three clauses. Not lifted up. Not raised too high and not occupy myself with things too great and marvelous for me. And with that, David is communicating the depths of his feelings with a strong passion. This is to be his disposition. Not lifted up, not raised too high, not occupying myself with things too marvelous for me. Well, we first learn that David's heart is not lifted up. And when David speaks of his heart, he uses a word that includes the intellect, your thinking, the will, and his emotional stirrings. Now with this, the king is not saying, I've got it all together, I'm sinless, or I'm perfect. But what he is saying is that the bent of his life is not haughtiness, but humility. He doesn't crave something in his heart that will exalt him over others. Those whose heart is lifted up are proud and, and full of themselves. They have a, God, I thank you, I am not like them attitude, disposition, and demeanor. The proud present themselves as knowing things better than anyone else, even the Lord. They undervalue other people and treat those who have a different view on things with contempt and ridicule. And when our hearts are lifted up, we not only present ourselves as knowing better, but also as being better than others. We sweet talk. 
use pious phrases or whatever it takes to elevate ourselves and our positions in life. And such pride can be clothed in in subtleness, craving the attention and approval of others. I crave something that would lift and exalt me above others, and that's how I interact with others. I don't think I need to tell you that when we are proud, we are very good at seeing the mistakes, flaws, and sins of others, but that we have become blind to our own. Think of how blind David, the author of Psalm 131, was to his own sin. And watch how, and watch out that you don't start thinking, well, was he ever blind? I'm glad I don't have that problem. David committed adultery. He shed innocent blood. He wanted to have the people numbered in a census because his heart was proud. And ironically, we are often too proud to see our own pride. Was that not how David reacted when confronted with his sin by the prophet Nathan? He was quick to criticize the injustice and wrong behavior of the man in the prophet's story who stole the poor man's sheep. But he did not see the glaring pride that had kept him from confessing his own sin. And so throughout his kingship, David needed to be humbled by the Lord and had to be shown the consequences of his pride. His pride caused endless pain and suffering. But the Lord in his grace brought him to his knees by opening his eyes to his his own foolish pride. And that is where we need to be as well. On our knees before the divine majesty of the Lord our God, recognizing that He is sovereign and I may not lift myself up in pride against Him and against those whom He has created and put on my path. This is where you need to be as boys and girls and teenagers too. Stop trying to elevate yourself above others by bullying or put-downs or excluding others as if it's all about you. Get on your knees in your daily prayers and say, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up against you or against others. And in order for that to be encouraged by our boys and girls then we as parents have a responsibility to lead the way. And not only as parents, but as grandparents and older members of the congregation, that we lead the way in humility. And not that we are, well, so proud of our humility. Every time the people of God entered Jerusalem, they were reminded that they existed Because of the mercy and the grace of the Lord. And when that becomes part of your life, that you realize it is grace, undeserved favor from the Lord, that will change how you are 
before God and others. Oh, the tentacles of self-exaltation and pride run very deep within every one of us. And if you think you have victory over it in one form, it can very well show up in another. Only through the working of the Holy Spirit and by the power of God's grace will we be able to confess, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And when by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit changes my heart, my disposition will change and be different too. David says, my eyes are not haughty. The proud look down on others from their high and lofty perch, their high horse. And the way they look at others makes it clear that they have no time of day for them. Unless they can somehow use them. But when I have learned humility, I will not act as if I am God's greatest gift to the world or even to the church. I am weak, a clay jar, an earthen vessel that is easily broken. I have no reason to have an exaggerated view of myself, for that only leads to self-deception and self-delusion. Humbling himself before the Lord, David does not concern himself with matters too great and marvelous for him. King says, I do not delve into matters and analyze all things that happen that are really going beyond what's my business. Well, David obviously dealt with great matters. He was the king of Israel. But he did not try to take on a task that wasn't his. This confession of David goes against our sinful nature. For how many of us find it attractive to surrender ourselves to the Lord? Surrender sounds like defeat, but it is actually victory when we surrender to the Lord. But don't we often feel safer when we we can take certain things out of God's hands so, so we have control of what's to happen next? How good are we at waiting patiently for him to direct our lives? David also acknowledges that there are boundaries to his knowledge. He says, I don't concern myself with things too, too marvelous or wonderful for me. I don't try to figure God out where God has chosen to be silent. And so it must be for us as well. With true humility, we serve the Lord and submit our ideas, our questions and perceptions to the word of God. It's to admit, I do not know all things. Nor am I able to know all. And I do not need to know all. And maybe it's sometimes in our lives that we we need to say, repeat after me. I do not know all things. So I shouldn't act as if I do either. Brothers and sisters, no child of God has reason for self-exhortation or boasting. 
For through Christ, we have come to see that the mouths of every self-glorifying human being must be stopped. What David says is a prefiguration of the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We read about some of that in Philippians chapter 2. Although Jesus is equal with the Father, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped. Our Lord humbled himself, became obedient to death on the cross. He was willing to stoop below the levels of his godly dignity for the sake of others. Well, David indicates that surrendering things to the Lord gives him great peace and rest. Pride makes us restless and agitated and grumpy. But surrendering matters to the Lord gives peace, joy, and rest. And David explains this further in verse 2 when he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. And notice David speaks in the past tense. He's not saying, I'm going to. He says, I've done it. And the word calmed is an interesting one. It literally means to make smooth or level. David is saying that his inner being is not churning, is not stormy, but calm and smooth. I'm not given to fits of moodiness, up and down. I've learned to take things at a level emotion. I've learned to stabilize myself by the standard that you have given. I'm not in constant inner turmoil. I've calmed and quieted myself. And we have to understand that this calm and quiet did not just come on him just like that. He had to learn to be quiet. Well, after the statement declaring his inner calm, David gives a beautiful picture of tranquility. He gives a tender illustration of a young child quietly resting. And twice he uses the word weaned to describe the child. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. This metaphor, comparison, refers to a child being weaned away from the milk of his or her mother. Young mums know all too well how children who are being breastfed will often begin to cry or to whine As soon as mom comes in their line of vision, the children will love their moms for what they get from them. But what they need to learn is to love their mom for who she is, not primarily because of what she gives. Weaning is necessary. For a child to grow and mature. A mother who is weaning a child may deny the child what he or she wants because she knows what is best for the child to grow and mature. Weaning allows the child to sit quietly with his or her mother without demanding food from her. Well, this is the picture that David is getting at. My soul is like a weaned child. 
I'm a settled, quieted, stabilized child now. In the process of growing and maturing in my relationship with the Lord, I've been weaned from that desire for prominence and to get what I want. I am content with the way God in his providence is working in my life. And I am now there to support others. I have come to learn to love God, not for all that he gives, but for who he is. And when he denies me what I dearly desire, I know that he is doing it for my ultimate good. So that I may be at peace in his presence, that I may mature and grow in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Brothers and sisters, the Lord weans you away from pride by changing your diet. He gives you a new kind of food, the meat of maturity and humility. And those who have been weaned from pride learn contentment. They are satisfied with their place and position in life. They no longer fight or yearn for glory, honor, position, and prominence. They have learned to be content with what God has given them and with how they can serve him and serve one another. They speak and act with a spirit of grace and humility. Well, David ends his song with a stirring address to all the children of Israel to join with him in trusting the Lord. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That is, O people of God, stop trying to follow your own schemes. Stop thinking that it's all about you. Put your hope in God. Hoping in the Lord weans you away from the mother of importance, prestige, public applause, vanity, and pride. To hope in the Lord is imperative for all the church. You and I can put all our trust and confidence in the Lord because he is always trustworthy, loyal, and true to his promises. Beloved, you have learned the confession of David in Psalm 131. Well, may that now be your confession. Let us appear before him in worship, trusting, hopeful, confident in his grace and in his love. Our attitude attitude should be the same as that of Jesus, who made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. And instead of demanding pomp and glory, instead of being boastful and proud, And wanting to be in the company of prominent leaders. The Lord Jesus went about his task quietly and humbly. And seeking the lost. He stooped down willingly. Washing the feet of his disciples. Well. Who can stand beside Christ? Who associated himself with publicans and sinners. And still be haughty. Who can hear the gospel of the cross. And still be proud. 
Amen.